The limited partner shares in the potential outsized returns of a well-planned and executed investment, but is a passive investor with no day-to-day -day operating requirements, whose liability is limited to the extent of their share of ownership. The limited partner has the maximum leverage on their most precious asset, their time. Now they say you're the average of the people you surround yourself with. Are you looking to elevate your network, connect with individuals that bring your average up? The Limited Partner is more than just a podcast. It's a community to learn, to participate, to connect. There's no other community out there like this for Limited Partners. So subscribe to the podcast, but most importantly, join the community at thelimitedpartner.com. Welcome to the podcast with your host, Jake Wiley. Welcome, partners. This is your host, Jake Wiley. This week, I'm joined by Melanie McDaniel from the Freestyle Capital Group. Melanie, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's looking at your background, your former Navy, you're a park ranger, and now you're full-time into the big-time real estate world that is today. I'd love to hear how that journey took place and, and, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I wish it was something more exciting than everybody else's story, but I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and my life was totally screwed up. Like, that's not even fair. Why didn't someone tell me about this? I was like 35 when I read that book. So it was the idea of not trading time for money. And then ultimately, we want to be an investor. We want our money to make our money. So there is a journey to get from employee to investor. And I'm kind of on that path right now. So I was a park ranger, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in 2015. It took me two years to, one, get the mindset prepared to actually quit this job with a pension. I work for the federal government. It's pretty cushy. It was just good enough, right? To keep me satisfied, happy, time off work, money, all that stuff. You know, the golden handcuffs that I would say they were more like silver handcuffs. They're really not as golden as some people probably have to walk away from. But yeah, ultimately I wanted to be an investor. I needed to be active a bit. I took the path of being a real estate agent first as a stepping stone. At the time, I didn't really know what I wanted to do as far as getting myself to the investor. So while I was a real estate agent is when I really started trying to figure out what I wanted. And I ended up with apartments. It made the most sense. I wanted more doors. I like scale and economy. I did Michael Blanc's coaching program. And then when I was ready to be full-time, what I'm doing now and launch my business, Freestyle Capital Group, it was about two and a half years that I was an agent and yeah, jumped in December, 2019, kind of full-time doing what I'm doing now. That's a great story. And I actually really like it when people bring up the rich dad, poor dad, because it changed my life too. It's so much so that like point you brought up about, like, I wish I'd learned it earlier. So we went through, my wife and I went through a couple of the program and we got the board game cash flow. So I actually started playing that with my kids this week for the first time. Nice. They are 11 and nine. And we finished our first game last night and it just blew their minds what was possible. And they're like, I don't want any of these doodads, right? So we had, we've had conversations, funny enough, about the Christmas gifts. And they're like, oh, that's a doodad. And I was like, I like it, right? You guys are starting to get your mind around it. So it's really cool that that changed your life. Yeah. I mean, it was mind shifting and it's so simple. But if you aren't exposed to it, then it's really about living within your means, having some sort of a pension, you know, just setting yourself up, but nothing like extreme. And then the whole idea, like I'm from a blue collar family, demonizing or demeaning or anything wealth, but I was not a wealthy person, wasn't around wealthy people. And even I had kind of a stigma against wealth. And maybe it's because I didn't think I could be one. So then you get like against it almost, but now totally that mindset's gone and I deserve it. I want it. I'm, I'm headed there. So 
and nobody is going to say we can't be wealthy too, right? That's right. And I guess what, what you picked up on that I missed, I guess when I went through the rich dad, poor dad stuff is I started small, right? We started with ones and two single family residentials. It's been a slog. We've actually are under contract to sell our first rental property from 15 years ago right now. So the time is good. And that'll be the last one that we own of that kind of vintage. But you went right into the apartments, the scale. I wish I had picked up on that. So tell me about that. I did buy a single family house with my self-directed retirement account. It was an awful experience. I lost money because I had a tenant. They paid, I think, eight months and then stopped paying and I had to evict them and then they destroyed the place on the way out. But it was a, I've never seen the property. I've never been to it, never set foot on it. It was like a turnkey rental in St. Louis, Missouri, which should be the first clue, but whatever. I lost money on that and I said, never again. I don't want to even be two steps away from a tenant. Even now as an apartment person, like I've had even further clarity where I don't even want to do acquisitions. I only tour properties because I do it on behalf of my investors and to hang out with my partners and investors who show up. I have zero interest in touring properties. I don't want to go look at crappy apartment complex. I just want to look at the numbers and know that the cash flow and, and the rents are going up, right? It's funny who we are and how figuring out where we fit in the, the grand scheme of the picture, whether you're just a limited partner which ultimately is the destination. But now I have one foot in, in both. And then even in, as a general partner, an active member, like what is it that you do? What's your lane? What do you enjoy? Because we don't have to do everything. It's a team, team effort. I, I think that's a really valuable point is that when you try and do everything, you probably do everything mediocre at best. Oh yeah, or it's just painful. Yeah, when you find what you like. Why would I leave a job that was unfulfilling and not that exciting for me to go create my own business that's unfulfilling and not that exciting for me. I'm very clear on, I just want to do what I want to do and then find partners to do everything else. So what is that that gets you excited? What is that piece of it? I am more on investor relations and, and capital. I like to find the best operators with the best deals in the best markets. And then I find investors who are LPs who don't really want to do everything, definitely don't want to be active. They don't even necessarily want to learn how to underwrite and do the due diligence they should be doing right for their own passive investment and they may not know how even if they want to they might not know how so i'm kind of that middle person that i'm all about my investors they're like they're my babies i take care of them they're my number one and when an operator i find one that i like they have a great reputation and i start digging into their numbers and their experience i'm skeptical I'm like stay back you know i'm skeptical I'm, I'm here for my investors but once i vet them i like them and i'm going to partner with them then or friends, or buddies. So until then, though, I'm skeptical. I could love an operator. I could love their track record and they could be awesome. But I'm skeptical until I get to look at the underwriting and meet them and conduct some due diligence. So it's like, keep your enemies, your friends close and your enemies closer, right? So the operators are kind of the, the enemies, but I have to vet them first and then, then their friends. But um, yeah, that's what I love to do. I love to network. I go to tons of conferences, tons of networking events in person and virtual. I just love to meet people because our business that we're in is not a real estate business. We are in a people business. Real estate is just the vehicle that is helping us get to our financial freedom and build that wealth. It's really about the people, the people who are the investors, the people who are the operators, and everybody has their lane. And we all just need to figure out where we fit and link arms with the people who have the skills we don't have and just do life together. Totally agree. I love the part, you know, what, what you're saying about wrapping your arms around your investors and, you know, because they're trusting you with money. This is their hard-earned money. I guess maybe a question for you in terms of losing money on your real estate deal, did that impact the way you feel about your investors' money? I mean, it had to, but... A lot of people I talk to have the same thing. We're more likely to lose our own money. We're a little bit more risky, I think. That's not the first... I mean, I've lost more money since then on a dumb tiny home joint venture I, I did. I completely lost 
100% of the investment because the person was so incompetent. But I didn't put investors in that. I wouldn't. I knew how risky it was. When it comes to investors, I don't ever want to do a deal. I would rather do no deals forever than lose investor money because one, I care about my investors and starting out, they're people that I know, love their family. You know, maybe eventually I'll get some strangers in there, end up trusting me, but that's not what I want. I want these to be people that I know and I love and I'm helping them build their wealth. So of course I don't want to lose their money. That's just who I am at my core, the law enforcement side of me, the morals and values I was raised up and all that stuff. Like I can't sleep at night knowing I've put someone in a bad deal. So I want to sleep at night. And then if one deal goes bad, your reputation is tarnished forever. I mean, you would be, I would be out of a career, really, honestly, in my mind, if I lost investor money and it was my fault or, you know, not vetted properly or, or whatever, I would be done. I would have to find a new career because your reputation is so important in this business. At the core, I just want to do right by people. And then at the professional level, you just don't lose people's money. You know, in, in terms of maybe making a mistake, like it hasn't been perfect, I'm sure. And what, what is your biggest mistake? You know, what, what have you learned in the process so far? Not so much investor money. I haven't had any issues there. I did introduce a friend to someone who I, I didn't do like a background check or anything on. We were looking at potentially doing some business together in assisted living. And we had many phone calls. I met him in person, went down to Houston, met him, met his daughter. Yeah, thought he was a good guy. He was a veteran and worked in oil and gas. And he had all this great story about working in DC. Anyway, so he, we were looking at potentially buying an assisted living property. I was just going to be the capital person, but I, there was no business plan, no operations experience. So I'm not even going to talk to investors until we know who's the operator and you have a business plan and he couldn't provide it. I never raised capital, but I did introduce him to a friend that's a hard money lender professionally. He's a military veteran as well, retired Navy guy that I knew from Virginia. I introduced them and my friend ended up doing an EMD down payment on two properties, $50,000. And this person ghosted him. He's gone. The money's gone. And this was this year, $50,000 plus the interest that he would have earned, right? Ghosted. And my friend eventually, you know, was suing him or whatever and pulled a background check on the guy. And he's just a bad person, not criminal, but multiple judgments against him. Yeah. Leans on his 15 year old car, owns nothing, no assets. Like he is a bad person. He's out there, still out there. Um, blowing the whistle on him with some organizations that are veterans organizations. He still identifies himself as a capital investment person, whatever. Anyway, he's bad news. I guess the regret is my friend, you know, he needed to do his own due diligence. He's a professional hard money lender. He knows that. And he's not mad at me. He takes responsibility. But at the end of the day, I feel awful for in even introducing them. But at the time I had spent quite a bit of time with this guy and he seemed, he seemed great. So the lesson learned is background investigations on every single person. I mean, I, I do that anyway for my, for my investors, but this was just, you know, a, a friend introduction. So either be very clear, like tell my friend, you need to conduct your own investigation or do it myself, which in that situation, not sure if that was on my shoulders to have done that, but I do feel bad. So I, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> whether it was my fault or it wasn't my fault, I still feel bad, <laughs> really bad. I think that's a great story though, right? Because you had a good relationship, you thought. And, you know, if he'd come up with some sort of business plan, maybe you would have had investor money in there, assuming you're doing the background check. How do you recommend people do background checks? If I'm a limited partner coming into one of your deals, right? I'm assuming you got it. What is your background check process? So there's some platforms that you can, they log in and provide their information to do the background check. They know they're being checked. Verivest is a company that I use, would use for that. And it's criminal. And then it's financial evictions, bankruptcies, all that stuff. It 
checks that. But that's if they know they're being background checked. But honestly, if I am sneakily trying to background check somebody, then what am I doing, right? So they should, if anybody you're working with as a partner or you're about to invest with them, if they won't let you conduct a background check on your dollar, then that should raise a red flag. So Veravest is who I use and they probably use a platform. I don't think they actually do it themselves. It's a service, a third-party service. But then there's like TransUnion. They have a background check and they're not that expensive. So I would say do that. If you're an LP and you're investing and you know who the, the key principals are and the, the sponsors, I would background check them. Just know that lenders do background check people that are on the loan, but there might be people in the GP that are not on the loan. Just make sure you're asking the questions, who are all the sponsors? Do a background check on them. Um, they have to agree to it and provide their information, log in, put their social security, their date of birth, all that stuff. But you don't take it from them and do it. You send them a link and then they fill it out. So it's, it's like a third party. You're not actually seeing the report necessarily. You'll just see that it comes back clear or not clear. I think that's just a great tip. As a limited partner, you know, the intent is for this to be a passive investment. And then you want to be in a situation where you feel comfortable that your money's not going to disappear on you. And then you've done some due diligence, but you don't intend to do a lot, right? You're thinking, hey, that's why I'm investing in this. But as a, as a limited partner, you need to do a little bit of work, right? And then get comfortable. And it doesn't mean, you know, once you've worked with somebody, kind of the initial due diligence and you've done a couple reps, like that's fine. But getting started, a, a little bit of diligence is, is a great preventative measure. It also helps to know people because I know some people in our industry that are bad actors, I would say, but you can't just, they haven't been tried and convicted because people settle out of court. And I know of a number of cases and people in our industry, they've got big platforms, they're loud, they're around, people trust them, they send them lots of money. But I do know if somebody had sued them, they would have been commingling or conduct fraud or whatever, and they that could have destroyed them. But because it's cheaper to settle, sometimes these cases don't get tried and then people don't get convicted, then you can't find that on their background. But they could still be bad people or bad actors. And that's where the relationships come in, the reputation, the knowing people. And that's why I spend all of my time networking and going to conferences and just really getting to know people. And it's scary. I mean, it's risky and there are some bad people out there. I mean, that's depressing to say. It's true. So you have to be very, very careful. I don't know. So we've been personally investing for the past 15, 16, 17 years. I don't know anybody that's been in the industry that hasn't run across or have scars from relationships, either close calls or, you know, they just got taken in. There's a lot of money that moves through, right? So there's just going to be bad actors out there that are chasing the quick buck. But there's a lot of really good people. Definitely more good than bad. Definitely way more good. It's a relatively small community, right? And I think that that's the other thing too, is that if you are working with somebody or you think you want to work with somebody, it should only take a, probably a, a ping or two on LinkedIn or to your network. And just to see if anybody knows, you know, like it's, it's you know, it's not like you're sending money overseas. You know, it's the, the Nigerian uncle scam. Let's take it in a, a, a different direction a little bit here. So if you could change anything about the industry and what you do to make it better, what would that be? I don't know. I love our industry. I love syndication. So this will be my answer. I love that we don't have to go to Wall Street to invest, pay a bunch of fees and do all that stuff. I love that we have private placements. I love syndication. And I love that normal people can do big deals. If you're walking down a city and you're looking at skyscrapers and apartment complexes, you know, a lot of people walk by and don't even think who owns those. Well, normal people like us are the ones that can own these things. So honestly, my biggest thing that I wish I could change is this whole accredited status, because how 
fair is that? If you are not a net worth of a million or you make 200 grand a year, or married 300 grand or whatever, you don't qualify to invest in these amazing opportunities. What are your options? Stock market and normal stuff or go buy your own duplex or single family. If I could change anything about the industry, I would say remove that, the whole accredited status thing, because that is just not fair. Like you should be livid. Okay, so if I don't have a net worth of a million, I can't participate with the rich guys. Like I don't get to play in that space. I get why the government has it in place, the SEC. It's to protect innocent people who don't know any better, which arguably maybe they don't. I don't know, but they get that choice. They get to do their own due diligence and learning. I guess that's the one thing I would change about the industry is get rid of this accredited status. I mean, maybe operators need to spend more time and maybe the SEC would need to define more specifically what a substantive relationship is. So we actually are doing what's best for people, not taking their last dollar or not investing something that they need liquid. You know, maybe that should be placed more on the operators or not. There are people who want to invest. If they don't do their due diligence, then losing the money. I get why it's all in place, but I I think people should be livid that they don't get to participate in certain investments because they don't hit a criteria of network or income. I agree. It is a relatively small market. Well, it's not really. There's a ton of accredited investors, but there's a lot of people that get left out. How do you solve for that? I don't know. I mean, what are are your thoughts on crowdfunding? I mean, I think that is a a solution-ish, right? Which is a different way of looking at it. I mean, it's hard to get the permission and get all the paperwork and whatever to crowdfund. There are some great companies out there that are crowdfunding companies. I think Realty Mogul has a pretty good reputation. I've heard the CEO speak quite a bit. I know one of their consultants and he's a super conservative underwriter that's an active passive investor. He's in like 30 deals at all times. So of crowdfunding platforms, that's the one I know the most about. I think they're great, but there's plenty of other ones like Diversity Fund and there's a bunch. So I'm not opposed to it. I'm not for it necessarily because I'd have to dig into what their fees are and the protection of the investor. Is it passed through? Do you get the benefits of the real estate or are you just getting a return? Like I'd have to dig in more to really know if you're getting all the benefits of the real estate to really have an opinion. I love syndication for the reasons that you own your shares of the depreciation, the equity, the upside, the buy down. You are a partner. So you get a lot of tax incentives as a crowdfunding platform. I don't know how that works out. Maybe the PPA question. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's a pass-through entity or not, or if you're just investing. I don't know either, but I think your point is valid. And I think there are people trying to open it up. And I think that it's also ripe for issues, right? People will exploit that. So I'm sure we'll have to go through that. But it's the same thing with everything that's new. Somebody's got to put a stake in the ground and, and try to make change. But I think that's a great point, you know, as we we think about what an accredited investor is versus a sophisticated investor. And it's like, well, I mean, there is a definition for a sophisticated investor. The SEC last year, early on this year, they were there was a white paper out and they were testing and talking about this idea that you could take a class or you could, there was something so you could qualify by proving yourself, proving that you know something to be considered accredited, even if you weren't. And I don't, it died. It didn't happen. But wouldn't that be nice where it's like, okay, if you take this, it's like becoming a personal trainer, becoming a real estate agent, you know, you learn stuff and then you take a test and they become licensed. Like why couldn't the government put something together that's a training program and it's almost a licensing or a accreditation, a status, whatever. So you take the training, you pass a test that you have to go take at some facility so you can't cheat at home or whatever, just to really make sure you understand financials and whatever. Why couldn't the government do that? And then you take your test, you get your little card, your little SEC accredited status card and invest in whatever you want. I think that would be a good solution. Yeah, and it's not probably too far away from becoming like a broker dealer, right? I mean, you can take a test and go through all this and then do it for other people. Yeah. I mean, if you became a broker dealer, you would then accredited. There are lots of, yeah, there's a few of the series. And if you have that, you are considered accredited. 
recommended. <laughs> it's not easy. Well, it's right not now. easy. It's long. It could be expensive. And then I don't know if you have to hang your license under a broker, which could be very expensive. I'm not sure what the requirement is, but um, it is one way to get around it. Or be an employee of the company, and then you get qualified as accredited as an employee potentially, like, or if you're a fund manager or something. Yeah, I think there is close to a path. It just needs to be articulated. But I think the flip side is that from an accredited investor perspective, there are a lot of folks out there that don't even know that this is out there. Like they have the opportunity. You know, you think like, oh, well, I could buy, invest in a REIT. And that's how I invest in these big apartment complexes. And it's, yeah, it doesn't even cross their mind that, you know, there's, there's people like you out there that are putting together the funds for that apartment that you live in. It's not fair at all. And it's not mainstream, but it's relatively new in our society. It's not like it's been happening forever. Relatively new. And the word's spreading, I think, because of social media and podcasts like yours and whatever people are learning. But think about, I mean, besides syndication of apartments and real estate, I mean, angel investors, BC, moonshot deals, like who gets to participate in pre-IPO stocks? Like you have to be a club. You have to be, it's frustrating because the rest of us, we don't even know what we could be participating in. And syndication is just starting to get a little bit of mainstream, which I'm happy about. So people can participate in something. But yeah, it's hardly fair, but it is how our society runs. The wealthy get wealthier, right? I'm not going to complain about that. I'm just going to explain. That's right. So I kind of wrap up the show. I like to focus on gratitude. None of us got to where we are by ourselves. Is there somebody who is the better question? Would you like to call out and say thank you to? that helped you get the leg up in this industry? You probably want just one person, but everything was a journey. It started with the Rich Dad, Poor Dad thing. So I would say Robert Kiyosaki on a very high level would be the first. I agree with that And one. then during the apartment buying thing, I did Michael Blanc's coaching program, but my coach, Todd Dexheimer, was a big piece of that. And now I have a performance coach for raising capital from high net worth individuals. It's that specific. And his name is Edmund Chin. So I'm currently coaching with him and he's definitely helped me shift my mind and be a little bit more clear on how to do what it is that I want to do. So high level, Robert Kiyosaki, Todd Dex, of course, and then Edmund Chin right now. Awesome. Well, I am sure that they appreciate the call out. Well, Melanie, thank you. This has been a great conversation. I appreciate you being on. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Limited Partner Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. If there's any reason you wouldn't leave us a five-star review, please email me directly at jw at jakewiley.com. Your feedback is always appreciated. Now, the show is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the Limited Partner community. It's a community where limited partners can come together, learn about what best-in-class looks like, opportunities, and most importantly, a place to connect. There is nothing out there like this. So head over to thelimitedpartner.com and sign up. We'll see you next time.